Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. State of the Union for the Texas A&M Aggies coming up a little bit later on with the one and only Billy Lucci of TexAgs.com. Long conversation with him about the state of the Texas A&M roster, what he thinks about how good this roster could be, the quarterback battle. Tried to give us some insight into who Jimbo Fisher is out of press conference settings and coaching football and all that stuff. Uh, but also a lot about Texas A&M's, you know, blossoming rivalry, as we've talked a lot about on the show, Aaron, with LSU. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk a lot about rivalries today on the show. You and I had a bit of a a rivalry incident, if you want to call it that, this weekend, uh, or or occurrence. I don't know what to call it between Vanderbilt and Tennessee baseball. Uh, but I thought we would define rivalry in college athletics, in particular football, because Vandy fans don't seem to think that the Tennessee Vandy thing is a rivalry. Tennessee fans certainly do. So I thought, you know what, Aaron, we got a podcast for SEC sports fans. I figured we could define what a rivalry is supposed to be. On and the show today. It's a, we both love baseball. So it's a treat. It is. And it was a treat this weekend. The weather was gorgeous, by the way. Um, so we're going to get into that uh, as well today. We'll, we'll touch on the national championship game. Uh, LSU fans, I'm curious how LSU fans were watching the national championship game uh, on Monday evening, considering their coach just got fired. So a lot of fun stuff on the show today for all of you out there. Please rate, review, subscribe, go to the YouTube page. Make sure you're clicking all the buttons that we're asking you to there on the socials and uh, across all the different uh, places we ask you to do that. We really appreciate your support. And of course, Aaron Dugan, before we get into any of this, Fringe Element is brought to you by the wonderful folks at... Jaspers, your final four hub for watching the final four, as well as eating during the final four and um, socializing with friends during the final four slash championship. And that is what you call a concise ad spot slash slogan, if you will. There's a lot of fours in there, a lot of Fs, a lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of fours going on in there. I got um, it. <laughs> it's going to be a struggle the whole episode, not necessarily with the Fs, but the fact that <laughs> the hardest word in the English language for me to say is rivalry. That was pretty good. Thank you. That, but I was good. really, I was thinking about it and I was ready for it. One and oh. We'll one struggle and through this. Yep, one and oh. Uh, Jasper's, of course, is uh, the next evolution of the sports bar over there on West End in Nashville. So if you're coming to Nashville, we know a lot of you guys listen outside of Nashville. And if you're coming to Nashville, make sure you check out Jasper's. Four Top Hospitality is who owns Jasper's. They have 13 locations across the Southeast. So if you're in Jackson, Mississippi, Huntsville, Alabama, they've got a location for you, a place called Saltine down in Jackson. You got Amerigos all through Mississippi as well. You got a Char, which is a fantastic Amerigo's steakhouse. In Memphis as well. Yep, they got one in Memphis and Huntsville and Jackson. So, you know, Four Top Hospitality taking care of you SEC fans across the region. Okay, so we'll get to Billy Lucci a little bit later on, and we'll define what a rivalry, what makes a rivalry great. Um, because I disagree with a lot of Vandy people uh, these days uh, about their baseball program. But we'll, Shocking. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the football side of things, because I think there are a lot of really exciting and really fun developing and new and soon-to-be new rivalries in the SEC. And Texas and Oklahoma are part of that. So we got a lot of, I think there's a lot of interesting things that are happening in this conference as it pertains to rivalry, but we need to define it. Uh, however, I, I guess, I think congratulations to Kansas on the national championship on Monday evening over North Carolina. I, the game was exceptional, Aaron. I had a great time watching the game. It was fantastic drama. Not a single word from Jim Nance and anybody else on the broadcast crew about 
the five level one violations that the NCAA is currently investigating Kansas for. I'm assuming yep. I'm assuming LSU fans and Will Wade are very curious about why that sort of happened and took place. But I'm, I'm, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Aaron. Do like not do you care? Because I know you're you're on the athlete side of getting paid, as most people are. But I'm just curious, like, are you willing to sort of just forget the NCAA stuff? If, if it's a thoroughly entertaining product, like if Georgia plays this great championship game against Alabama and they're under investigation by the NCAA, like Auburn with Cam Newton, let's say in 2010, like Auburn fans don't give a shit that that happened like three weeks earlier in the season. What do you make of the dynamic of, of a violation in the NCAA mixed with the championship and, and the game and all that stuff? How, how does that all land on you? Well, I, I do care because I guess, I guess thinking about the student athletes, but in a different way, because these things take so long to pan out and you don't want to talk about them on the broadcast in the current year. Um, because I guess it leaves a taste in people's mouth or taints the moment or whatever the reasoning is for that, because you know, there's strategy involved in the broadcasters color commentator play by play being asked not to say something or else it would have organically come up because it's very relevant. The problem with it is how it affects the future athletes. I'm seeing that play out in Memphis right now. Obviously I'm a Memphis fan, but just things coming down transgressions from years past now affecting current student athletes. So that's why I care is because even though we're not talking about it right now for this team, and they're going to be able to have their moment, you're going to see all of these sanctions and punishments actually come into fruition for a whole class of student athletes. that doesn't deserve them at all. Yeah. Um, I don't know so how you solve why that. I care. I, I don't know how you solve it either because it doesn't seem to be money because people will risk it for the biscuit, if you will, to just make violations and then just be like, okay, well, we'll have a donor pay them off if we get caught. Right. Not saying that's how their brain's working, but money doesn't seem to be solving the problem. So I guess you do have to punish them. It just sucks that it ends up being student athletes that weren't even there during the sanctions. And a lot of times student athletes don't even have anything to do with the sanctions at all. Current. Right. 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 Like if, if, <clears throat> if four years later, all of a sudden the NCAA is like, yeah, Georgia did a bunch of this for that national championship team that won the title. Well, none of the players that quote unquote were, you know, I'm going to use, I'm using the phrase guilty here, but mm-hmm. you, it's all hypothetical. You know what I mean? then all the players that would have like, oh, you're not going to a bowl game or whatever, let's say. Yeah. But th- that doesn't help. That doesn't solve the problem of the people that already have the championship rings and already have the banners. And like, sure, you can vacate wings on Wikipedia, but like, who cares? Like it doesn't, Auburn fans know exactly what happened in 2010. If anybody came back and took that away, they're not going to, they don't care. Like no one's going to care. I, I just, I'm good at compartmentalizing. I can watch the, the game and I can say, man, that was an extraordinary basketball game. I also kind of think that they they should get paid by the shoe companies if they want to be be paid by the shoe companies or whatever, you know. But I also know the rules are in place for a reason and we're not supposed to break the rules even if I disagree with the rules. Like there's lots of roads in Nashville that I think are stupidly slow and the speed limit should be higher. It doesn't mean I can just You're not going to get pulled over. Right. Like I so I'm I'm so torn on this because the and this is what I don't like about the internet. The internet's just like the extremes, you know. Like on yeah. Twitter after on Twitter after the game on Monday night, it was just like, are we just going to ignore the fact that these guys are all a bunch of cheaters? And then over here, it's just like, what a brilliant one shining moment for Kansas. Well, the, the bookending a Hall of Fame career for Bill Self and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, isn't, isn't it both? Like, can it be both? I think it has to be both. I don't think there's an, really another answer for that. 
there needs to be a better answer for how things are handled, but there's not really a better answer for, um, in that moment, you know, as sports fans or just even March madness even goes beyond that. It's outside of the normal, you know, uh, diehard sports fans. It kind of touches everybody just for bracket and excitement and Cinderella stories and everything. So it doesn't mean people aren't going to watch and enjoy it as I think they should, but you know, I just thinking about those things, coming down the pipeline later and affecting kids in the future that have decided Kansas is the yeah. best spot for them. That makes me sad. Well, well what, like, this is the LSU question then, because LSU fans obviously listen to the show. Kansas fans don't, but like LSU fans, what I always found interesting about LSU was like, they knew all the stuff that had happened and they just kept Will Wade employed. And so I think that one's a little different. Like we caught him on tape, right? <laughs> like, like we caught him with the hand in the cookie jar and then they just like decided to ignore it. LSU was like, no, no, we're just going to keep him. And while I don't really care that that kid on the end of that phone call, like got a little money to go play basketball at LSU. Like, I personally don't think that's amoral. It is technically against the rule. So I'm like, I don't know how you keep Will Wade employed. Then they get their notice of allegation. Then they finally act to fire him. In the meantime, Bill Self is sort of a part of the same investigation, different, different, but the same. And like, he's just winning a championship. So I just, I'm assuming LSU fans had a weird night on Monday night. Had to have. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, weird all around yeah it's it it is interesting and i'm I'm with you there's no way to sort of truly like punish the right people the right amount for the right crime and like have it all work out without it like there being a bunch of shrapnel that affects other people like, it's just it's, scare tactics of the future yeah, and yeah. it's like i mean in I guarantee you that the biggest concern, I'm not saying all universities, but the biggest concern normally is, are you going to keep me out of future postseason play? And therefore you're going to keep me away from potential revenue from TV networks, from everything else. And from donors that are excited about the, you know, forward progress of the program. It's not necessarily, Oh, I'm sad that, you know, Johnny two star, (laughs) your go-to name, not really relevant here, but it's the first thing I can think of. Yeah. It's not really our problem that Braden Gall committed to Kansas and now he's not going to get the playing time. He's going to end up in the transfer portal because we're under all these allegations. Like that, I don't feel like that's yeah. on the forefront of people's minds. No, no. Which that, I wish it was. No, I agree with you. And that's a lot of like connecting dots that need to be done ahead of time yeah. before this stuff happens, but but it happens. So um, all right, let's get into some rivalry talk here. So I want to get into some of the I, I think there are blossoming rivalries across the sec that are new and fun a lot of them involve lane kiffin and that's fine um there there's a&m and lsu which is probably my favorite one of all right now and we talked a lot about this during the regular season but we're going to talk about it a little bit more with billy lucci coming up a little bit later on but i want to define a rivalry first because vandy and tennessee played baseball this weekend they did tennessee whipped that ass but vandy is the best program in all of college baseball for the better part of 15 years that they are yes. the Alabama of college baseball. Mm-hmm. And what I find fascinating and what I think, and this is sort of how I would define a rivalry. I don't think you need two sides to be great. Like ask Auburn. <laughs> like Of the rivalry, you mean? Yeah, like Alabama has dominated Auburn under right. Nick Saban, right? Ohio State has dominated Michigan. I think it's helpful if both sides are very good. I think it's helpful if big, if games are really big and there's a lot of gravity in those situations, but I don't think that is what necessarily drives like the deeply rooted connected tissue of a rivalry. I, I think it is the fact that Auburn and Alabama are 
in the same state, that they all live next to each other, go to the same church together, work in the same offices together, go to the same schools together, have known each other for generations of families. And I think that is what makes Vandy Tennessee baseball good is not because Vandy's been way better than Tennessee because there's no argument there. It is that there is a socioeconomic cultural identity issue between Vanderbilt and Tennessee. Van- Let me- things. That's one of them. Keep going. Keep Vanderbilt going. is the James Bond tuxedo wearing martini drinking coolest guy at the party who has been at this party for 15 years, has multiple rings to show for it because they are the best and they know how to act because they've been there before. And this is how we play the game. Tennessee is like a Chevy Z 71, 1996 with like a keg of natty light, a bunch of drunken rednecks who've kicked in the back door of the party and have no idea where they are. They they just showed up to the party, like mullet luging their way into this like really haughty toddy, nice, fancy party. And both of them represent their institutions culturally and they play the game the way both fan bases and like uh, this is long-winded here Aaron, i'm following but, you but totally I'll land, I'll land the plane here because tennessee plays the game the way a bunch of drunken rednecks would play the game and they love that about themselves mm-hmm. and they're good because of it vandy is black tie pinkies up and it's very good at the game and they love themselves because of the, their style and then they hate the other one because of that exact cultural identity And, oh, by the way, we live on the same streets and have the same families and do all the same stuff that Auburn and Alabama does. I think the tissue, the connected layered tissue is what makes a great rivalry. I don't know. That's my stance on it. No, I think that that all rings true, except for I don't think Tennessee's good because of that. I think it's really fun for them. They're like that and they play like that. And it's really fun. I don't think they're because of they're good because of that. In fact, you have to be really, really good to play that kind of rowdy, boisterous, like fun, um, just sort of wearing fur coats in the dugout. Yeah. I mean, you have to be honestly, because there's so there's a little bit, I don't, I won't call it chaos because the program's figured it out at this point and Tony's doing a great job, but it's, it is also really hard. You're up and down. So, which is, a really hard thing. You have to be really good to be able to play like that and still win because you're not always back in the middle. They're like, you know, you know how Corbs is coach Corbin is he's yeah. just right. You don't ever get too high. You don't ever get too low. You stay right there. You know, we don't react. We don't yell. Our guys don't yell at the umps. Uh, Corbin will get in an ump space and talk very sternly, but he will not <laughs> yell and scream and act like he's going to pounce on them. Um, so I'd say, the fact that Tennessee can play like that and still be that good to me, I guess being around Vanderbilt seems hard because I feel like there's a lot of up and down emotionally. Um, I I just, I do, I do think it feeds why they're good though. Like the fact, cause like they play in a tiny little ballpark where you can hit home runs and mm -hmm. like they're brash, they're outspoken. They, they enjoy and relish the role of being the villain. Like they, they're fine with being the villain. Like they want to be the villain. Yeah. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Check my bat. Oh, I cheated. Okay. Who cares? I'm gonna hit another dinger three innings later. Like they, they sort of love that. Like they're the bad guy. It works because they're good. Though. They're very, you know, you're right. And because uh, if you're bad and you play like that, everyone's like, oh, you're yeah. an effing joke, you know, <laughs> it's the Lane Kiffin. So- like Lane Kiffin can act like Lane Kiffin mm-hmm. because he's good. Right. Like exactly. You can, you can act like that if you're good. If you're Egos not good. Egos are fine if you can back it up. Yeah. Essentially. Yes. And, and that 
they can right now. They Tennessee and Vanderbilt, both of them are very good. There, mm-hmm. There's no question about it. like I I went on Sunday. That was that's two of the better baseball teams in America. Like and yeah. the crowd was great. The weather was beautiful. It's it's a phenomenal. But I I just I think the like what makes Auburn and Alabama football special, Texas and Texas A&M. Like when I lived in Austin growing up in middle school, like we learned Aggie jokes. Like that, that was what you it's were living taught. in the same neighborhoods. It's like yes. having to be at each other's, you're have the opportunity to be at each other's throat every day. You're in the same class. Your kid, your friends are going to come bragging. If Auburn wins the next day, you dread it. You almost can't even think about it. Can't that's what a rivalry is to me. One of the things is not even being able to think about the, have the thought of losing because it's going to seriously affect the quality of your life for who knows how long because you're gonna have so much shit talking when you go to work go to school it's almost like just don't even say that because I can't even process being South Carolina and losing to Clemson or vice versa because I'm just gonna have to deal with it every single day like I don't talk a lot of trash about my institution to almost anybody really because I just am not it's just it doesn't do that to me anymore but the thing that I will, and this is where I'd like to hear your input, because we got to move on to the football rivalries, but I do want you, because you're a big baseball fan, and I want to know what you think about this, because literally, the only people I, I like tweaked a little bit about Tennessee sweeping Vanderbilt this weekend are like my in-laws, <laughs> are like my closest possible people, where like I've got close, close, close family friends or people that are like older generations, and I just go... I go, sounds a lot like a guy who just got swept this weekend when they start making excuses about, and this is what I want you to, you to comment on. Their okay. one big thing is, well, well, now you care about baseball, Tennessee. And there's more, the Tennessee Vandy thing, there's plenty of football history there, but it's been very one-sided. Basketball has been pretty even. Yeah. And baseball has been very uneven towards Vanderbilt over the last right. 15 years. And I think, I don't think you need to, like, like Kentucky football is good now, right? Right. I, I, I don't, I don't think Tennessee fans or Florida fans or LSU fans who are all like quote unquote football people. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can look at Kentucky and be like, Oh, now you care about football. Like, I don't think if you're good at something, you can brag about it. Totally. I completely agree with that. And I think that you made a point that I wanted to go back to. Hold on. I got it. Must've been riveting. It was. I mean, just couldn't, could never forget it except I did. Um, the, the caring about baseball thing, I obviously you care when you're good, like you just said, but I do in terms of the evenness of the rivalry or lack of needing to be even, I agree because I think when you have one of the best teams in the country, like Vanderbilt, as long as there is a chance for defeat, which baseball you have that chance a lot. I mean, Vanderbilt can play Alabama a million times in football and you just don't know what's going to happen. Baseball is so situational. It's so day to day. You mean you do know what's going to happen in football? Sorry, you do yeah, know yeah, what's yeah. going to happen. No, you're right. Exactly you're right. what's going to happen. With baseball, it's just a little bit different yep. unless there's a larger gap than we're used to seeing. Like, you know, I know you have to win two out of three in conference series. So that makes it a little bit uh, more likely to actually swing in the favor of the better team, but you just never know. So when you have a team and Tim Corbin will be the first to say this and has said it many times is there's almost an inherent rivalry when 
everybody, you get the best of everybody. So when you're at the very, very top of a conference or you're the epitome of what it looks like to be a standout in this particular sport, which is Vanderbilt and baseball, then you get everybody's best. You get all the strategy, you get, um, you get extra hours in terms of what you're doing and playbook and, you know, whatever you want to call it. And so you act, you actually get everyone's best. So I don't think that requires it having a history of it being close. It's just everybody wants to take that away from the number one team. And you're 100% correct about the cultural difference. Mississippi state Vanderbilt is a perfect example of that. I, (laughs) and I'll go back to being a fan of Vanderbilt because it's obvious, but I try to stay neutral. Sometimes Mississippi state, I cannot stand Mississippi state in baseball. (laughs) They play, they have no class. They're (laughs) wild. They are unnecessarily egotistical, which I will say, Tennessee, I don't think their ego turns on or has recently. I mean, I just, isn't that all the same stuff you could say about Tennessee right now? They're just not as obnoxious. Well, they're just not as obnoxious as Mississippi state. Like there's some, maybe it's just this inherent, like, hate that I have for only their baseball program. Now, now let me ask you this. So this is fascinating to me because I'm a Tennessee alumni and I think Tennessee's more obnoxious than Mississippi state. So I'm curious, but, but is it because they been... didn't have your bag packed for the college world series That's what in I was 2018 and have to go home and unpack yes. it all because Mississippi state knocked you out on a bottom of the ninth walk off Homer Ooh. to send you home. Ooh. Ooh. I think that was game three of the super regional in 2018. It was horrible. Yeah. That hurts. That that hurts just hearing you say it out loud. And it's just, they're just so obnoxious and they're everything Vanderbilt's not. (laughs) They're just, they're cocky. They're They're a farm school. (laughs) They're no, no. So, so it is. So this is, this raises a great question though, about rivalries, which is. Can you be anti one sport and not the others? Is that what you're going to say? Well, that's a, that's a phenomenal question too. My like, brother and I argued about this earlier. So like, you're fine. You don't have any problem with like Mike Leach and Mississippi state football. It's just the I baseball don't really. Team. I mean, I don't really want to hear their cowbells, but they don't want to hear right. the Vanderbilt whistler. And so, oh, you know, God. whatever Jesus Vanderbilt, Christ. I know <laughs> I don't even hear well, it anymore. So it doesn't bother I, me. Cause I, I sat I, three rows in front of him with our former boss at the game on Sunday and who? he didn't Mitch, Mitch light. Uh, oh, and, Mitch. He, and he didn't, he didn't really bother me much because he was only doing it like on two strikes in the bot, like two outs, two strikes. And he wasn't Mm -hmm. doing it much, but like, it is hilarious how big of a brand this guy has now nationally because, and it's because Vanderbilt baseball is so good that they're on the national stage so often that we're here, that we're hearing him. So let me, so you think it's okay to hate a specific, because here's, this is, if if I was going to put my fan hat on. Okay. One of your daddy hat. God, that's, Please don't say that ever again to me. <laughs> I don't want you to ever wear one. So. Um, so Kentucky and Tennessee have a really interesting rivalry to me. Some of it okay. is tied to geography because, and, and if, for those of you listening in Arkansas or Texas or Georgia that don't understand this, this will be, I think this will be illuminating. And I'm curious if it exists anywhere else in the SEC. But there are a lot of people that wear orange in the fall and blue in the spring. And that fucking pisses me off. Like I, it, I am visibly angry right now at people that do that because you're picking the best one in football and the best one in basketball. And I think that's a joke. I think that's sacrilege and flies in the face of being a fan. Well, that definitely does. So that's way worse than what you're saying. But what I think is fascinating, and I'll speak as a, I'll try to be a fan here, which is I love Kentucky football. I, I, you, I've said it on the show a thousand times. 
I you really love it as a member of the media because you like what they've been able to do. You're not a Kentucky fanboy. No, not at all. But I really enjoy Mark Stoops. I think he's a great coach. I enjoy how they've built their program. I think it's very smart. I think the coaching staff is good. I love watching their players. Like I really enjoy the guys they develop. I think they're really good yeah. football players. Like I just think and Kentucky is now leveled up to Tennessee in football. Tennessee is leveled up in basketball to match mm -hmm. with Kentucky. And there is nothing that gets me more viscerally, viscer, viscerally. Oh, that's reacting. your word. Mine's rivalry. Yours is viscerally. I don't think viscerally should be used. I think it should just be visceral, but that's whatever. just because you can't say I, it. I know viscerally. Then the Kentucky go. blue and the Tennessee orange on a basketball court does nothing to me in football. I don't feel anything when I watch them in football because I like Kentucky football, but Kentucky basketball and Tennessee basketball, like nothing gets me all hot and bothered. Then, then when I watch those two, and I'm curious if there's other things like that in, and Billy Lucci's going to talk about this, like LSU and A&M. We talked about this in the, in, in the fall with Godfrey when he was at the, when LSU got smoked by Kentucky in football and he Alabama talks about the highway. What is that? Uh, I 10. It's the I 10. Yeah. It's the I 10 rivalry. Godfrey's arts. He's always like the I 10. And, and the Billy, on I 10. exactly. And Lucci will go into some more details about like historical context into, and a lot of it is baseball driven. LSU and A&M have a lot of baseball history. It's not just like, it's not just the, the modern football and seven overtimes and, you know, the, the AD trying to steal Jimbo Fisher. And like, there is lots of right. that. There, there is all of that too, but th there's some baseball stuff there. So I'm just like, like, okay, let me, I know we're bouncing around here, but no, that's when, okay. This is good. when Mark Rick sends his guys out onto the field of the cocktail party to intentionally draw a penalty against the Florida Gators like that, that those teams could have been zero and 11 and that would have been brilliant. It would have <laughs> been brilliant. And it's a, it's about the hatred and the tension and the, like, sure, it's better if everybody's great, but really right. what makes like Mississippi and Mississippi State could play every single weekend and be zero and zero in any sport. And I would watch it because I know how much those people hate each other <laughs> because they're in the same classrooms, in the same offices, yes. having a, your in-laws are Mississippi State fans and you were raised or a sh rebel land shark. I mean, it's just one of those situations. But let's go back really quick before we move on to my brother and I were arguing about this. So I was talking about what we're going to talk about on the podcast today, just rivalries in general. I was like, yeah, you know, I absolutely despise Mississippi State baseball, but whatever, in basketball. He's like, well, you can't do that. He's like, you can't be, you're either like, you hate all of it. And my brother ended up going to Tennessee, but we were raised Memphis fans. I've told yeah, I you guys are, first, you guys are super twisted. Mentally. Yeah. And I'm, and I went to Vanderbilt. It's, it's all <laughs> over the place, but I, I think I talked about on the very first episode that the first time I ever saw my dad cry was when Memphis beat Tennessee in 1998 and it was happy tears, whatever. So my brother was raised to hate orange and he hated all of it. And then uh, he ended up going to Tennessee and obviously that created some confusion, but <laughs> as a general rule, he's like, how do you hate? He's like, I hate Kentucky period. No question about it. You know, being a Memphis fan, Calipari, whatever, you know, he just has hated Kentucky. I'm like, I don't necessarily feel like that. I feel way stronger towards one sport than the other, like Texas A&M football great culture. They love to have you probably me. Cause we're Vandy fans or I was a Vandy fan when I went <laughs> and they're like, you know, come on down, eat some food. We know you're a 
check off W in our books. It's been great. But I have heard that AM football fans are like that in general. They love people coming in, 12th man being a part of their culture, seeing what they have to offer. Um, and obviously the tension would be higher if they're playing someone like Alabama, but in general, they're very welcoming. Texas AM baseball, one of the scariest experiences I've ever had. Um, wild. Like it was really? like a cult. Yes. Oh my gosh. We walked it like it Old reminds Blue, me Old of Bluebell Park. Yeah, it they play the freaking the riflemen after every time they get a strikeout. <laughs> if you get a ball, they keep track the whole time. So they're like ball four, ball four, and do that the whole rest of the game. That's tremendous. They know all the pitchers for parents' first names. Wow. So they'll be like Kumar House Tracy and just keep. <laughs> I mean, and they just say it in this stupid voice like. I don't even know how to describe it, but so it was, good. it reminds me of the clock in Shrek that pops up and they're like, welcome to do lock. It's a perfect <laughs> town. It reminds me of a freaking cult in a Shrek clock. It's the scariest thing I've ever seen. And I'm going to say one more thing before we move on. Cause I know I'm ranting the, <laughs> we were walking out of the park after we had lost at Texas A&M one, I think Saturday game, this little girl, tiny, she's probably Marin's age, maybe a little younger. Braden's oldest daughter, who's what, four, five? five. five. Yep. This girl's probably four. And she like is holding her mom's hand and she's like looking up at her and I'm walking behind her. She's like, mom, I'm so glad the Aggies won. And her mom in a Stepford wife voice, I kid you not, I'm not doing this for comedic effect, said, of course, honey, it's always a good day when the Aggies win. <laughs> and she goes, mom, is it a good day when the Aggies don't win? And her mom literally looked down at her and like jerked her hand and goes, come on. And didn't answer the question. Wow. Do you think they were doing it all on show for for you? No, saying? I don't think they were paying. Oh, you just heard him. You, okay, you just heard him talking. Okay, that's that is fascinating. By the way, you need to go if you have not been to a game there. You need no, to. It's, that's utterly fascinating. Have a couple drinks and then go because it's supposed <laughs> to be the exact opposite of Texas A and M football. Well, and there wow. are just there are so many amazing baseball stadiums in this league. Just like there are football stadiums, and the fans are spectacular and. I just find you're right, though. The dynamics between the sports are really interesting to kind of see how your brain reacts to all of them. And I, through all of these conversations, like, first of all, LSU A&M is by far one of my like if I'm looking ahead 10 years, what do I think mm -hmm. is going to be? Because, again, it's only at its best when it when they both are very good. And Lucci will allude to this like they haven't really played like a, a, an SEC West championship style game yet. But if right. LSU and if LSU and A&M ever played on the final weekend of the year for an sec west divisional title that shit would be crazy that would be a an unbelievable game to go to as a neutral observer like that would just be an unbelievable game to be at and so you do need that to sort of like kick it up to the next level like that's why the kick six was so big right like it was right the winner was going to win the division and go on to a championship and, and all that stuff and but what i'm fascinated by when we talk through all of these different dynamics you know, regionality and proximity and all like Texas and Oklahoma are going to come into the league and they're going to bring a lot of history with them. Like, Texas has got rivalries with, with A&M. Right. Texas has a great history and deep, deep tie to Arkansas. That is going to be a great future rivalry in the sec. I, I, like Oklahoma's got some ties to, I guess, Missouri and A&M, but like really the thing that I think of when we, when we talk about this is like, well, what's, what's Missouri and South Carolina going to do? <laughs> Like, cause they don't even have, like, again, Missouri's got a little bit of, of Oklahoma history. They played in the big 12 championship game in 07 and, you know, South Carolina has got Clemson in the ACC, 
But like South Carolina and Missouri don't really have that thing that they can like sink their teeth into. No, I feel like sometimes when you're in a situation like that as a program, it's, it's sad when the most exciting thing means beating someone that you shouldn't towards the end of the season and keeping them from going where they should go in the postseason. (laughs) It's like not a great thing. You know, it's not good to feed off of the negative, but sometimes you don't have a choice, which is kind of the situation they've been in lately. Well, and it's just, but it's also goes to our point about geography, like Missouri, this is why Kansas and Missouri something. Yeah. Right. Like Kansas and Missouri are such a big rivalry. It's called the border war because they're so close to each other. And they were great when they were in the same conference together. And they were both very good basketball programs. Mm-hmm. And so that all made sense. Like I could see Missouri, and this is why I think, again, why I think Missouri belongs in the Big Ten. Like they are a Big Ten school in my mind, culturally, I, from an identity standpoint. Like, but their rivalries would be great with other Big Ten West teams. If yes. they were in there with like Illinois and, you know, Purdue and Nebraska and Iowa, Just like those would be, sense. those would be good rivalries. Yeah. Like South Carolina is a little bit better because South Carolina and Florida have a lot of ties. South Carolina and Tennessee have some rivalry stuff and they've been in the league for long enough now that it feels like they're, they're kind of a, a clearly an sec school. Yes. But man, like I just, what makes this stuff so great is that, that like on my street, I have Tennessee graduates and Vanderbilt graduates and like, they don't like each other right now. I've never seen more people comment on a Tennessee hat than after this weekend. Like people are paying attention to Tennessee baseball and Vanderbilt baseball as a, as a, yep. as a rivalry. Um, Wait, Braden, vamp for a second. Okay. All right. Keep going. Are you going to, are you, what, what is Aaron going to show up with when she comes back? What is she going to show up with? Um, no, I just, Lucci's going to talk about this. I think Tennessee, Kentucky is a blossoming football rivalry. I think Lane Kiffin versus everybody is a, is sort of, and again, Luch will talk about this as well in just a second, but Kiffin versus Texas A&M is going to turn into a really interesting rivalry because there's some history there. DJ Durkin just left from Ole Miss to go to Texas A&M. I think that's an interesting one. Nick Saban versus some assistants is an interesting one as well. I wonder if LSU and Florida develops into a, a bigger rivalry. It's already one, but because Billy Napier was in Louisiana and maybe had some ties and maybe did or didn't want the LSU job. And now he's ended up at Florida. I wonder if there's some, something there. Uh, as well. So uh, the other question is who's going to be Oklahoma's biggest football rival. And they've played Florida some in, in bowl games and in national title games. So there could easily be some Oklahoma, Florida dynamics there as well. But other than right, Texas, that took longer than I wanted it to, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just talking about rivalries. Welcome back to the show. Um, I just want to remind you that. Oh, oh, wait, 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 hang on. For, you need to go to YouTube for this folks. You need to go to YouTube because I have a feeling I know what she's about to do. And you need to turn all the lights down, get some mirrors out. <laughs> get what out? I'm, get some mirrors out. Because <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to be Just shiny. don't forget. Wow, look at that. You knew it too. Look, look at, at this that. shit. Look at that. Show, Even show me, Dugan on it. Show, oh, it's got your name on it? Yeah. Is that 14? 2014? No, this is 2019. 2019? Show, show us the top. How many diamonds you got there? She's holding up Several. a national championship ring, folks. National championship ring. Legacy team because we won the SEC championship. Wow. Also. How much is members. that? Honestly, honest question. How much is that worth? You think? I have no clue. Really? Truly have no idea. We I did get, not should, pay for it, obviously. We should get it appraised. See how much it's worth. <laughs> 
I was busy vamping on like what Oklahoma should, who's Oklahoma's football rival, and you just show up with a so freaking heavy. championship ring. <laughs> it's like, ow. Please subscribe to the YouTube page because this is the kind of stuff you get on the YouTube page. Yeah. <laughs> hold hold like, it up I'm all the way. Hold it up. Hold it up all the way to the camera. Let me see that thing. My God. Look at I that. love that it says Dugan. It's my favorite thing. Well, of course. It's got your name on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty dope, dude. Not gonna lie. But I can't get married because this um or can't change my last name if I do get married because I don't want it to I don't want it to make my ring go out of style. Oh man. When you get engaged, if and when anyone decides to do that. Well, you, you have to like, yeah, for sure, you need to put them like side by side to take the photo and like tweet out the photo. When you oh, announce it on your announcement, you're like, which one, which one? I love it. It's so small. <laughs> it's so cute and quaint compared I, to my other one. I, I just want to let you know, I hate bachelorette parties. I just, I hate them so much. All right. Um, okay. What does this have to do with a bachelorette party? I don't, I just, you did that voice with a ring and all I thought of was <laughs> obnoxious bachelorette parties. I think of and like were, Laguna Beach, but yep, you yeah. were just on, and you were just on one. So anyway, Oklahoma. We'll take a break here. And we'll get to Billy Lucci, but Oklahoma football. Who mm -hmm. like there's there's history with Alabama. There's history with Florida. Played in the national title game. Obviously, Oklahoma Texas will be a thing. Oklahoma Missouri and A and M both played. All played in the Big Twelve. Who do you want to see Oklahoma become like a deeply rooted hated rival with? Is it is it Arkansas? Like that doesn't. Uh, who is it? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, for some reason, my first instinct is Tennessee. I just kind of feel like that's going to. There's some history work. there. There's history. There's a little bit of history there. Baker and, Mayfield. Um, I don't know. That's the first thing that popped to my head. And I haven't really, you know, I didn't know you're going to ask me that question. So I hadn't really flushed through why. But I do feel like that could be just the passion of both of the fan bases, the history of the programs being elite yeah. and then kind of having trying to rise back to where like they it. once were kind of makes sense well oklahoma's been like a dominant program for 25 years so i don't know if well, I agree with that last part but i mean I, i'm with you i'm, I'm with you on I all hear of the other you, stuff but this is a, i mean it's a transitional period you know coming to the sec no matter what program you are so they will although oklahoma obviously has been historically good and is a very strong program they still have a little bit of a curve coming back into having a week-to-week -week schedule like they will in the sec and, and we're going to do a lot of scheduling talk uh, uh you know in a couple episodes maybe next week um but by the way aaron you don't you're kind of done for the show like that was your one shining moment right there you show up that was you, my you, one shining you put moment. a ring in front of the camera a national championship ring i'm sorry that's your you've got your How own You've got your own montage now. How dare you steal my reference to one shining moment? I brought this up before the show and you knew that I was going to talk about it. And I have a special place in my heart for the one shining moment um, video each year because um, it's kind of part of why I wanted to go into. I got super interested in videography is because I freaking love one shining moment every year. Wow. One of my favorite things. That got serious real quickly. Yeah. I, and you honestly, freaking that was... stole it after I told you I was going to bring it up. But you but you put a national championship ring <sighs> in front of the camera. <laughs> Just so heavy. <laughs> um, so you really got into your profession because of the One Shining Moment video after the I championship would, game? That that was... no, by the way, that no children saw because the game ended at 1130 Eastern time. Yeah. Everyone's pro hopefully everyone's looking it up today if they didn't see it last night. Um, I will say before I move on, I loved that they did a full dedication to their producer 
um, the CBS producer that was yeah, retiring. Yeah. That was pretty awesome because people behind the camera don't get that kind of credit a lot. So that was really cool. Um, the, yeah, one shining moment as well as seeing the, my like final uh, nail in the coffin was seeing the SEC storied on Herschel Walker when I found out that he went behind his house and chased the train till he was faster than the train. Um, That's awesome was like my moment of like realizing what sports can do and kind of, you know, what kind of stories are possible and how many people they can reach. So yeah, that did get kind of serious, but one shining moment and the sec story with Herschel Walker were like my nails in the coffin for video. Well, um, and Herschel Walker's career arc is fascinating. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's, we had some ups and downs there. I'm talking about little eight year old Herschel. No, no, I know. And the push-ups and the, like the story that he's, yeah, it's a, it's a, no, it's a spectacular story. Um, uh, unbelievable, like arguably the greatest freshman football player ever in the history of the league. I mean, outside of, you know, I can't even think of any Bo maybe might be the only one that's comparable. So, um, yeah, no, it's the, the backstory there for Herschel is easily root, root, rootable, root forable. I don't know what the Root right forable. word is. Root forable. That's obviously the right phrase. Um, all right. Let's yeah. not end before we mention women's basketball. Okay. So, oh, you want to talk about rivalries? Yeah. Let's talk about you rivalries. You want to talk about rivalries here? True story. Like all the women in my um, my wife's family circle, all diehard Lady Vols fans. Like mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge. Love that. And we were at a kid's birthday party the other day. One of our, not mine, but one of somebody else's. And I was talking to one of my buddy's moms, who's a friend of mine. And she re- she leans over to me, and this was like during the tournament. She leans over to me, and she's like, "She's like, I'm so glad. She's like, I'm so glad they lost." And I was like, "Who?" She was like, "South Carolina." And I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" Like this was in the middle of the SEC tournament or whatever. And she's like, "What are you talking?" I was like, "What are you talking about? Kentucky and Tennessee are like they're going to play on Saturday." And and she's like, "No, South Carolina, the Lady Gamecocks, they got beat. I'm so happy." And I was like, wait a second. So South Carolina has become the Kentucky of women's basketball, which makes total sense because they're a dominant force, like mm-hmm. all credit to South Carolina. Well, it was UConn. UConn is by far the number one mm-hmm. biggest rivalry. But right. I couldn't, I could, it, it kind of struck me because I don't, I don't watch a ton of women's basketball, but it, it struck me that South Carolina has, is, has become the thing that Kentucky has always been in men's basketball. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, it is. So congrats, right? Congrats to South Carolina. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it's, I I love the fact of like the very powerful, strong, um, confident female coaching figure. I mean, honestly, like South Carolina and what Don's been able to do there is Don Stanley is, you know, the current version, you can't compare anyone to Pat Summit, but she was just, she laid the land of what a um, successful female basketball coach looks like. And she obviously is a legacy in and of herself. And I feel like Don Stanley, in terms of what she's pushing for deeper than just winning games, which is what Pat Summit did is changing the culture of, of what women's sports looks like. And I think Don Stanley is doing that currently. I'm not saying that's making people hate South Carolina. I just think there's kind of, well, I, think, some I think, I think Tennessee, effect. I think Tennessee people hate South Carolina. Because yeah. because of what you're talking about, Pat Summit and the history, and like no, we are we are the thing that changed women's basketball in the South, not anybody else. And now somebody else is doing it too. Yeah, and I think, and I think that it like hurts. oh they they're so angry at South yeah. Carolina. They're so angry at South Carolina women's. Props basketball. to Ray Tanner too for just the support that he's put behind 
women's athletics and their basketball program kind of leading the way and giving them the same platform and opportunities, or at least trying to as men's sports, I think that he really is a good role model for athletic directors across the country in terms of what that's supposed to look like and how people can get excited about uh, women's sports if you just give it a little bit more of a platform closer to what it deserves. So I'm done done with rant. And Ray Tanner, one more College World Series championship ring than Aaron Dugan. So there, there, there you have it. Oh. He's got two. <laughs> I don't two. think I have an opportunity to catch up now, but the, the old okay. Michael. Remember Michael Roth? Michael, the old Michael Roth pitching. He was the he was the number one starter for South Carolina two years in a row, back to back national championships. I think for South Carolina, if I am not mistaken. All right. I'm not going to fact check you, but I believe you. I think that just about does it for rivalry weekend here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we come back, a fantastic conversation with Billy Lucci of TexAgs.com about the Texas A&M roster, the defense, the line of scrimmage, the quarterback battle, and the rivalry with LSU. All of that when we come back right here on Fringe Element. Fringe Element is brought to you by Jasper's calling everyone to a higher culinary power. Interesting. Thank you. Now I can just see like Deb Paquette, who is the sh- wonderful chef that designed the menu at Jasper's. Ascending and, above a crowd. Well, like That's I, what I, I'm picturing. I see her with like a harp in one hand and like a, oh, like a cherub. Yeah. <laughs> cherub. You think Deb's a cherub? I, well, I just can see her, uh, you know, you're talking about ascending to a higher culinary power. And I just see mm-hmm. Deb with like a harp strumming a harp over here and then like muddling some like orange peel over here with like her hand yeah. into she something. Could, she could definitely do both of those things at the same time. No yeah. question. Yeah. So if you're in Nashville and you're coming to town or you live here, make sure you go to Jasper's. The parking is free. The drink specials are amazing. The menu is truly spectacular. And they, of course, are a part of the Four Top Hospitality group of restaurants. They have 13 locations across the Southeast. They got stuff in Huntsville and Memphis and Jackson, Mississippi. So make sure you check out all the great restaurants, Char, et cetera, Etch, Saltine. They got all kinds of great restaurants. Obviously, Jasper's here in Nashville is one of the best places. They got a game room now. We talked about that with Shuffleboard and Papa Shot and all that other stuff. So um, make sure you check out all that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Nashville has a lot of good steakhouse options. If you've not been to Char, it can mm. it can give the other ones a run for its run for their money uh-huh. to try it out. I agree. And it's right across from Trader Joe's. So you can just pop in, you know, grab some uh, no free butter shouts. ice cream after, and then just go. Well, how did this I don't turn think Trader no, Joe's Jasper, is going to hear Jasper's this. Has, <laughs> Jasper's has a grab-and-go market where they have homemade cheesecake that I've purchased It was just because of the my proximity family. to Char. It was nothing against Jasper's desserts why do you by hate Megan. Our, why do you hate our advertisers so much? I don't. I just basically made a reference between Deb Paquette and a comparison to the Lord, I think, on accident. <laughs> so I don't I don't think hate would be the right word. Thou shall not take Deb's name in vain. Okay. <laughs> All right. Deb would be so alarmed if she heard like <laughs> how obsessively we talked about her. She's I, like, uh, what's happening? I I I think Deb is very comfortable being separated from the marketing arm of Four Top Hospitality. (laughs) Namely, and by that we mean us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So go to Jasper's, everybody. The food is great. The parking's free. The happy hours are great. It's a great place to watch games. And there are a bunch of other restaurants from Four Top Hospitality across the Southeast. So wherever you're listening to this, if you're traveling to a game somewhere, baseball this, this spring, basketball, football, whatever it was, spring games, make sure you check out Four Top Hospitality and Jasper's here in Nashville. 
Luch, always a pleasure to see you, man. Thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. Welcome to the show, my friend. Anytime, Braden. How you been, man? I'm, I'm good. I'm good, dude. Um, before we get into the, the roster itself, Texas A&M, some of the battles that are taking place, certainly the quarterback situation, the new defensive coordinator, a lot of stuff going on with this program. Uh, can you try to explain to people, though, what Jimbo Fisher is like away from the cameras, off of the air? Like, we know he, he, he likes to talk. And, and we know he, he's very successful, but just try to give us some insight into who Jimbo, like what makes Jimbo Fisher tick off of away from the cameras. Family and football and hunting, fishing, <laughs> outdoor stuff, family, football, and, and they all kind of tie in together with the, between the family and football and, and the hunting and fishing. I mean, they, and, and he'll also do, he'll also, I've, I've seen he does some fishing with recruits when they're out at his place. So there's that too. Uh, no, I, I think that that would best sum him up. If, if you talk to him away from the mics and the cameras, and I've gotten to know him really well, really since, I mean, the first day he got here, I just felt like we knew each other. And uh, I think that's part of why he's such a, an elite recruiter and people, Lost in the shuffle of all this Lane Kiffin crap, and he won't shut his mouth. He <laughs> tweeted something yesterday. I really wish A&M would have beaten Ole Miss last year. They could have had a lot more <laughs> ammo that first year when Ole Miss wasn't any good. They that game COVID canceled it, and then and then this year, I guess Jimbo's uh, what he's uh, one and one against Lane. I guess um, or no, maybe zero and one. I forget it was Lane's. Second yeah, Lane, year, this will yeah. be Lane's. This will be Lane's. He's zero and one because Lane they missed the first year. But right, right, man, you talk about a game that's all of a sudden become big just because of what Kiffin's just sitting there waiting to tweet if Ole Miss <laughs> could come into Kyle Field and win. So you can bet that A and M fans and and the players and coaches are going to want that one. But he won't be quiet about. It. But it's funny to me, Braden, because all the guys ever done is recruit elite classes, including the number one class prior before at Florida state, including the number four class at A&M and, and, and in the full cycles that he's had here, I think four, six and seven in the three classes before that. So he's, but you, you get to know him and you understand why so much of that is because what he is, is he's very genuine, whether he's in a great mood, you know, and, and he's a fiery competitive dude when you get them talking about whether it's football, anything outside of it, you know, Jimbo, he, he's, he's competitive. He's a tough guy. Uh, he's got like zero back down to him, but he's also, he just loves talking about those things I mentioned. And, and, and he can just, just like he does at a press conference, he can go on and on all day about any of those. Yeah. And yeah. talks, as you know, really quickly. If, if maybe his offense ran as many plays per minute as, as his mouth did, you know, that might be the thing that gets A&M over the hump. No, I, what's fascinating. I was talking to a lot of LSU people during, it was the same weekend. I think LSU went on the road and got housed by Kentucky. And that's, I think that's the same weekend that A&M beat Alabama mm -hmm. and LSU fans were rooting for Alabama. Like the people I talked to, we're LSU. And I was like, wait a second. What, what is there something special about A&M and LSU right now? That's turning into one of the conferences, more like deeply hated, passionate rivalries. Do, do you see that? Based on my mentions, I would say so. Those LSU <laughs> fans, I, I called Brian Kelly something the other day. I don't even remember what it was. It was, uh, what did I call him? It wasn't the nicest thing. It was something like, 
maybe I referred to him. It was something about his video and his dancing. Uh, I call him a lot of things. So, but I think that's a good hire. But look, forget about, oh, he's not a fit. He's not a fit. What kind of fit was Nick Saban when oh, they hired yeah, him from yeah. Michigan State, formerly of like the Cleveland Browns or whatever? You know, so I do think Jimbo's the perfect fit at AM, though. And I think that's why it was such a big deal to keep him. Look, LSU's tried to hire the guy coaching at AM three times, no matter what their fans say. That, that's factual. They've tried and failed to hire him three times. Maybe a leave a pull to plug at the very end, but they tried to hire him that year too. And I think if Jimbo would have been saying, it's done, I'm coming, that would have happened. They've, A&M's got the coach they wanted. They can talk all they want about Brian Kelly's discipline at practice and the, how, the attention to detail, just like every time – you know, OU fans are celebrating Brent Venables and acting like, you know, they didn't lose anything in Lincoln Riley. They spent the last few years coming at me every time I said I didn't think Lincoln Riley was that good. Now they got a guy that's never coached a college <laughs> game in his career as a head coach, and they think he's the second coming of Bob Stoop. So the LSU A&M thing, Scott Woodward, the Jimbo Fisher element to it, the uh, – you've got uh, – Hell, even all the way to women's basketball, they had a girl that played at AM the year before, and I think it was contentious of whether she was going to be eligible right away. And that thing got messy, as things tend to do with, with Kim Mulkey. Uh, you can go all the way back where not that it's not the highest profile sport, but Pat Henry left LSU for AM. You had John Chavis, AM uh, yeah. hiring Chavis away. I don't think that many LSU fans were crying about it at the time, but it was still. It, it was a big take. Yeah. The seven overtime game and the Gatorade bath and the knee down. Last year, LSU having a terrible season and they end up beating AM on a play that is nearly talked about as controversial as much as it should. Everybody, Bo Nix, everybody talks about the Tennessee Ole Miss game this year and the fumble that, that, that wasn't. How about Damani Richardson ripping the ball away from the LSU return man on, on the punt return at the end of the game that should have been a yeah. – it should have been a – I mean, it was a no-brainer fumble, no forward progress. No one said a damn thing about it. You can see I'm into the rivalry. Baseball <laughs> baseball's always heated yeah, between those yeah. two schools dating back well, to isn't 1989. It, isn't it also – like, I don't want to talk about Katrina, but Katrina displaced a lot of Louisiana people – into the Houston, greater Houston area. Yeah. And so now you've got all these families that are now intertwined. I just think that yeah, I-10 thing is, is something special, man. Like, it's it's developing into something real fun to watch as, so a, as, a, as an outsider. And you, Harold Perkins burning the A&M hat at his uh, <laughs> commitment party on signing day. What is that? Like, all the A&M guys. Like, and then there's the the bad blood with this recruiting class and the way A&M yeah. owned Houston and LSU's got natural ties in there. Oh, and oh, by the way, the Aggies have Max Johnson now. <laughs> that could get interesting. So the whole thing. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, people say it's not a rivalry. It, it is. Uh, and it dates back a long time in, in both football and baseball. It dates back a long time. So I think uh, if these two teams can both get right at the same time, it could be really big. I, they really haven't played a game yet, Braden where both of them are really good. Maybe in 2012, but it was before 
we realized what A&M had with Johnny. It was about right around early, like late in the first half of the season. It was an 11 a.m. game at Kyle Field with Mike Evans, Johnny Manziel, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, 11 a.m. And nobody was really – Jeremy Hill. And yeah. All, yeah. And, and so, uh, if they could both get right – even the, even Brian the dog, kept, even the dog, Billy, even the yeah. dog does not like LSU. Well, we don't like tigers around here. <laughs> I actually have some, and, and this is the other thing you haven't tapped into either. I have so many close friends, not only that cover LSU, but played for LSU. I'm over here trying to get his toy so he'll shut up. <laughs> this the is entire- a tremendous. This is tremendous poise and concentration on your part. Like not, you're still looking at the camera. You're still doing the interview and trying to get the dog situated. It's impressive. It would be even better if I would have fallen out of the chair, but no, like (laughs) there's so many friendships uh, that go, you know, it's not A&M, Texas. It's not Alabama, Auburn, but they're like you said, when you talk about I-10 and the Sabine river, there's a hell of a lot of overlap. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's get to the team real quickly here. Looking at looking ahead and obviously We've seen Jimbo Fisher in the past take an extremely talented roster and an unproven but very talented young quarterback to a national championship game. We saw that in 2013 at Florida State. Is it crazy to start talking like that? Is there a quarterback on this roster that is good enough to sort of fulfill some of those similarities? What do you make of the battle? What do fans need to know about the quarterback position for A&M this summer? I I think Texas A&M is going to have a – great quarterback situation moving forward you can break it down however you want like even after this season let's say if one of the three leaves but you know because you know how quarterbacks are nowadays but going into this season with three with a guy that won the job last year really going away in Haynes King a guy that the program loves with a guy in Max Johnson who LSU fans are making it like it's no big deal he threw 27 touchdowns and six picks last year Behind a terrible offensive line with like his third OC or I guess second OC in two years for him, but the system kept changing without his best receiver. I think Jimbo looked at him and said, I think I can take this guy to a whole nother level. And I think Max and Brad Johnson probably looked at Jimbo and felt the same way. So, uh, and then Connor Wigman, who as a, as a true freshman, five-star, you know, there's a lot of guys in this class that I would think will have a more immediate impact than Wigman. There are very few in that class, which is, you know, on paper, the best class ever signed. There are very few that I think are as gifted as this kid. I mean, he's an incredibly just instinctive, natural player. Braden, he's running around wearing number 15 on the, uh, not on the scout team. He's getting reps right now, but he's wearing number 15. It reminds me of what Johnny was wearing 15 on the scout team back in 2011 when Ryan Tannehill was a quarterback. And he does a lot of those same things. There's also the Patrick Mahomes comparison, which people in that district have made many times. This kid just has that it, that feel of pressure, getting rid of the football, knowing where to go with it in a moment's, in moment's notice. He's pretty special. And I think coming out of spring ball, I, I think even more so than going in, this is a three quarterback race. And meanwhile, Haynes King, all he is is a guy that's won the job. He's been in Jimbo system three years and runs a sub four, five at six, three. Uh, they've got a unique situation. I think moving forward, it's going to be incredible because whoever starts this year, you should return them the next. Uh, 
I have no idea who's going to win that job. <laughs> and I wouldn't even name a favorite right now. Yeah. I, it's, it's good to have options and, and certainly some veteran options as, as well as the young options. Uh, looking at both lines of scrimmage, because this is where Jimbo has made his hay. It's where you have to be good in the SEC. They're replacing some all-world talent on the defensive side uh, in Leal and company. They got some polls on the offensive side as well. I'm not as worried about the skill positions. What do you make of the states of the defensive and offensive lines? Are they good enough to stack up week in, week out and, and beat teams? And I'm going to say Alabama, Georgia here. I know that's not all the teams on their schedule, but if you're going to compete for a playoff spot, yeah. those are the teams you're going to have to beat. Yeah, I get back to me on the D-line. That one's the most fascinating because people forget they return two five-stars. We talk about everybody they sign. They return two five-stars and a guy that was right on the cut line that picked them over Alabama in McKinley Jackson. Uh, so between McKinley Jackson to Miche Adelier, who's been one of the stars of, of the spring, even going back to bowl practices, and Shamar Turner, who was playing a lot last year before he, he suffered a high ankle sprain, those three guys coming back, Fadil Diggs, Isaiah Rakes, those are two guys that have played a lot and have looked good. And then you have this true freshman class that's as good as anything I've ever seen in any position by anyone, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. I don't care. Like, I'm sure Bama had some classes where they signed three five-star borderline, five-star backs. A&M signed four of the five highest rated D linemen in the country. <laughs> um, and, and on top of that, they got another three guys that were either a five-star in one of the three major services or were at one point a five-star. That's seven of their eight dudes, let's just say, either were or flirted with five-star status. This is an unbelievable group, but don't forget, they've got two five-stars that, that, for all intents and purposes, redshirted last year on the D-line that are ready to play. So where that thing starts versus where it could be a month into the season, that could be a special group. And don't forget, as good as that AM D-line was these last couple of seasons, I think Michael Clemens played his way up into the draft. He might be a third-round pick. Uh, Leal, I think second, maybe third. I think I think he'll go second when it's all said and done. But you had other guys that are going to fight to get drafted that are coming out of there. So from a talent standpoint, this thing's only going up. Experience matters a hell of a lot in this league. Yeah. You look at guys yeah. like PV and Clemens, who were grown men in year five and six, made a big difference. But that is as talented a defensive front as anything in college football right now outside of maybe Athens. And uh, on the O-line, it's interesting. Foster and Fathery, true freshman starters last year that were really good. I think they're both going to be high-round NFL picks, so now they're going into year two. Layden Robinson's back. But you lost a first-rounder in Kenyon Green, and you're looking for a, a left tackle. I think that's going to be Trey Zoon. Uh, there's plenty of options at guard. I, I love what they've got. There's one question for me on the O-line, and, and, and Steve Adazio is a hell of an O-line coach. You know, he had some success as a head coach at BC and Temple, but really – the reason he got those jobs because he's a hell of an O-line coach. And that position really intrigues me. I would, I would, if I were in that room, in that building, I would really have to be sitting there going, do we need to go take, find a tackle in the portal? Uh, there are mm -hmm. several guys that could play there. You've got four true freshmen coming in. A couple of them could play there. 
I, I just I just wonder, you know, are you going to try to go through the season with two yeah. sure things at tackle, yeah. one of whom hadn't played? That That's a question mark. Mike Elko leaves pretty important piece of this defense the last few years. DJ Durkin did pretty good work at Ole Miss last year. Got their got their numbers improved significantly. Um, it, what 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 is it going to look like? How different is it going to look? What's the philosophy change that's taking place going from Elko to to Durkin? I think it's going to look pretty similar in terms of scheme, and I think that was a big thing that with Jimbo with the hire, and he went and checked Durkin's background, and and you know. Kiffin kind of took him to that three, three, five, and he went and visited, you know, Iowa state kind of altered his style to fit that old miss personnel. I think this will be more of a comfort zone for Durkin. I think this is something that he and Jimbo talked about a lot before this hire was made because everything we just talked about that D line personnel, if there's a position on this roster that doesn't have a lot of depth, even after this recruiting class, it's linebacker. Uh, they got a potential great one in Edger and Cooper and a veteran in Andre White. Not much behind that in terms of anything proven. So I think you'll see a lot more of what Elko did. That's why they kept that and because they're great coaches. Tyler Santucci and Elijah Robinson gave them titles and promotions uh, and to keep that continuity. So it's well, the rare thing where you see a defensive coach come in and the entire defensive staff around him stays the same. I think it'll be more, Braden, of a personality thing. Whereas I think DJ Durkin's going to be more aggressive probably in his play calling than maybe Elko was, particularly early in games. I'll be interested to see how AM fares against these up tempo hurry ups. You remember three drives in, they were down 17 nothing to Kendall Bryles in Arkansas. Uh, very early in that old Miss game, I think they were down 15 nothing at halftime, and it could have been a lot worse. Those were games where kind of Mississippi State was similar, where when you get going in that tempo early in games, I felt like Elko was the master of the halftime adjustments, and really, as the game wore on, he would he would really get after OCs, even in those games, with his play calls and the blitzes and what he disguised. He was he's he's a genius. But to start games sometimes, A&M, against that particular type yep. of team, which ironically enough is where Durkin's coming from. So I think that could be an area where you hope you would see improvement. Yeah, they played much better in the second half against Ole Miss. There's no question about that. The defense gave them a chance. Um, all right, we'll, we'll leave you with this then. You, you've been covering this team how long, Philly? How long have you been covering A&M football? Since 19 – I mean, if we're not talking about just recruiting and covering the team, 98. Uh, I'm talking – cool 25 – so a quarter of a century of yeah. knowledge here. This is the most talented AM roster since or ever. What, what do you think? One, one to 85, where does this rank up during your time in College Station? It might be one. I mean, I go back to when I was in school. So Jackie Sherrill and those teams were right before me. So I came on about early end of RC. Not at the very beginning, but the early end. Uh those teams defensively had as much talent and, and they had some, but, but they didn't have the level of, re, they did it the, at, at running back for sure, tight end for sure, but they, they weren't recruiting the O-line, you know, then there were some amazing players during that time early on, but they weren't recruiting at the level that A&M is. It's a O-line quarterback, um, wide receiver 
So across the board, I think defense is pretty similar to then. And I'm talking about early 90s where they could go almost anywhere and get guys. And RC had such an eye for it, too, that a lot of times it didn't even matter about the recruiting. You just look at what was on the field and they were like backups that were getting drafted. <laughs> uh, so at the very least, you know, I would say it's the most talented roster I've seen because of the it's kind of the complete across the board. Again, if I have one nitpick, it's linebacker uh, compared to what AM right. used to have. But if you're going across the board, uh, this is the most talented roster I've seen at AM, no question. And, and to, more importantly, Braden, right? I talk to scouts that come through here every day that I've known for a long, long time that'll tell me the good, bad, and ugly about AM. When they stunk, they'd tell me. When other teams were better, they'd tell me. When, when Baylor and TCU had more talent, they'd tell me. And they say that's a concern. Scouts, assistant GMs, coaches in the NFL. I talked to all of them and uh, not all of them, but I talked to those type of guys all the time. And you hear more and more from them, more than ever. It went from, you hear them talked about along with OU, Florida, uh, Auburn. Then it was kind of LSU and a and I think kind of cross paths right now. And now you hear AM talked about with Auburn and, and Georgia ba- by the Bama. guys. Bama and Georgia. I'm sorry, Bama and Georgia yeah. by the guys that make the rounds. And yep. they go in the trenches, they look just like Bama and Georgia on tape. I mean, there's no Jordan Davis, but they're just like you look at the depth, you go out to practice, you look at the guys they're working with. And there were a couple spots where they needed to get there. And I think receiver in the secondary were two of them that. With this class coming in, they address that. They signed two five-star receivers. They've got Anaya Smith back. They've got depth there. And then in the secondary, it, this was just now the best secondary class I've seen A&M sign. And I didn't think I'd be saying this, but keep an eye on Denver Harris because the true freshman corner, I think, is going to be hard to keep off the field. And, and that's a position where A&M returns two starters, including a five-star that's going into year three. So a lot to work with now really just about across the board for Jimbo Fisher in this program. Well, we'll, we'll see if it's this year or next year that it all comes together. Cause it's going to yeah. break. It's, it, it'll break through like Georgia broke through at some point. If you keep putting dudes on the field like that, uh, give yeah. the puppy, give the pup a shout out. Let, let's hear the, puppy. I don't know what he's doing out name? here. What's his name? Griffin Griffin. Give Griffin. Griff, yeah. I don't know what he's doing. It's not <laughs> after Ken Griffey jr. It's not after okay. the, is it Lord? No, it's a uh, Harry Potter Gr- what, Griffin, whatever. It's not those. I just named him Griffin because I named my last one Graham, and I just thought something with a GR, and he looks right. like a Griffin. All right. Well, Sounds shout, like one. shouts, shout outs to Griffin the dog. We appreciate uh, Billy. Always a pleasure, man. Tex Ags, you guys do a best, do a great job down there. I love talking with you, man. Uh, that's your state of the union for Texas A&M. Luch, thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate I'm, it. I'm just glad you got to talk to me and not Louie today. <laughs> All right, Braden. Thank About you, three buddy. people get that joke. I appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. He'll get it. That's all that matters. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Thanks, all right, man. buddy. That about does it. Billy Lucci, very enlightening stuff there, man. That Nobody can cover sort of the ins and outs of Texas A&M, like cultural fabric the way Billy Lucci can. And um, he said it's the best he said this is, could be the best 1-85 to roster that Texas A&M has ever had. And uh, if that's the case, 
we're in for a hell of a season in college yeah, football are. in the SEC. So it's going to be pretty awesome. Yep. You got three teams flirting with the top. I know it's hard to put anybody above Alabama or Georgia from what we just saw this past season, but I think Texas A&M is going to be causing a little bit of wreaking a little bit of chaos, wreaking havoc, causing chaos, wreaking havoc. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Well, they are the they are the wrecking crew, I think, right? Isn't isn't Texas A&M the wrecking crew? I don't know. Wrecking crew. I feel like the rambling the rambling wreck is Georgia Tech. I know that. I'm not sure. I know the wrecking crew. Maybe I'm wrong. Wrecking crew. I thought it was the wrecking crew defense. I thought. I'm pretty sure. And I think Lucci was referencing that defense in the mid '90s. I want to say that was Dat Win, who ended up playing uh, like an all-time linebacker for Texas A&M. So, anyway, this is what happens when you uh, went to middle school in the state of Texas, and you have like these weird Texas memories in your head. Yeah, you know, that, that's what happens. <laughs> not the like, old only weird things in your head, I'm sure. No, of course not. Just like you have weird Liberty Bowl memories in your head that that really nobody should have, but you've got them. So no one should. <laughs> there, there you have it. Aaron, where can people find you? The Aaron Dugan on Twitter, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. Make sure you check out the YouTube page as well. Make sure you click subscribe on all the buttons, whether it's the social feed, the YouTube page the podcast app, all that great stuff. Just make sure you're subscribing. If you want to rate and review, that's cool too. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Make sure you go to Jasper's as well. Say hi to the Lord and Savior, Deb Paquette for us. Jeez. And, and, oh, and, uh, we, yeah. Thank you guys all for listening. Thanks to Billy Lucci. Thanks to Aaron Dugan. My name is Braden Gall. We'll talk to you again next week, folks. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. Oh, that's over. My arm hurts.